The information presented in this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not meant to be a substitute for clinical mental health treatment. If you or someone you know is experiencing a mental health crisis, please dial 988 or head to your nearest emergency room. Welcome to the Black People Die by Suicide 2 podcast, where we discuss all things mental health with an emphasis on suicide in the black community. I'm your co-host, Jordan. And I am your co-host, Takia. I almost (laughs) forgot my own name. (laughs) Welcome. If this is your first time listening or viewing, we welcome you to our space. If you are returning, welcome back. Um, so glad to be recording. Today is a very special episode for us. But before we dive into that, we are going to do a check-in. So we're going to check in and talk about how we're feeling, how we're doing today. Takia, how are you? You know what? I was a little frazzled, you know, before everything started. But I am very excited about today's episode, okay? I feel like we've been waiting for this for a really long time. Right. We've been preparing <laughs> since July. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, same. So I, I'm i doing well today. I'm very, very grateful. Again, we have a fantastic guest, guest which I'm really excited about to introduce you all to her. Um, and I'm grateful for this opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So... Today, we are joined by a powerful Black voice in the space of mental health. She is a professor at the University of Houston, an author, a speaker, and the author of this fantastic book, The Unapologetic Guide to Black Mental Health. Dr. Rita Walker is here. Leon, where are hand claps? (laughs) Yes, we need a round of applause for Dr. Walker, of course. <laughs> Dr. Walker, if you could please check in and tell us how you're doing today. I'm doing great, and I'll even go another step and tell you that my PF is about an eight. Oh, yes, we're going to get into Ooh, PF. We're we about to get into Yes, that. I'm so excited. <laughs> An eight is a good number. You know what? I think I'm at about... I'm at about a good seven. You had a good seven? A good seven today. I don't know. Dr. Walker's on the screen. I'm at a 10 right now, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, absolutely. We are so excited to have you. So funny story about um, how we connected with Dr. Walker. Takia and I went to Essence Festival this past year. And Dr. Walker was on a uh, panel with Michelle Williams and Dr. Corey Yeager. And we were able to... um, go to that panel and it was a fantastic discussion very very raw very very real about mental health and we said you know what we got to connect with her we i know and it's so interesting because they were literally stealing dr walker and i was like i'm about to run up there i was a runner a track star went up there and was like hey we need you on the podcast (laughs) (laughs) yes and here we are today is the day so takia you want to get us into our topic today Absolutely. So today we're really just talking about this wonderful book that Dr. Uh, wrote that Jordan and I had the pleasure of reading. And it's so much to unpack in this book, isn't it? Yes. So Dr. Walker already talked about um, 
her PF, which is psychological fortitude. So I am going to give Dr. Walker the uh, the privilege to explain that to our listeners on what that is, because me and Jordan know because we read the book. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody else has to read the book so we can all have this common language. I know. Yes. 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 That's why I, I introduced it, because how many times has someone asked you how you were doing? You say, I'm doing fine. You know, I'm, I'm doing all right. And you might not have even meant it, but you just didn't want to go into the details. You're just like, look, I'm fine. Let's keep it moving. For some people, they'll say I'm good because they're thinking, well, I'm not having a nervous breakdown. And so they think they're fine, too. But but we needed a different kind of metric. We we needed more information. And so I introduced the idea of psychological fortitude in the book because I didn't want to talk about whether or not someone is is losing their mind or whether or not, you know, they're doing great and not meaning it. But I wanted for us to be able to give a zero to 10 rating of our capacity to be able to to use our mind, right? Because sometimes folks are like, I'm, I'm just so, mm, I can't even think. You know, we need to be able to use our mind. We need to be able to manage our emotions. Stuff happens and our emotions just get the best of us. And it's like, before you know it, oh my goodness. Um, so use your mind, manage your emotions, deal with your work, school, family responsibilities, because we all have obligations in a number of different places um, to be able to tap into our reason for being here, because we all have a purpose for this life. And then to be able to kind of deal with the threats to all of that, because the threats come at us before we know it. And so I don't know if you all realize it or not, but even though I talked about psychological fortitude through the whole book, I never actually defined what the thing was. Uh, so that's the definition, zero to 10 rating, zero being low, I got nothing in the tank, and 10 being as high as we can possibly imagine. That's my capacity to be able to manage all of those things that I just described. That is so great. You know, as Dr. Walker was talking, you know what I what image came to my mind was the cup, because you know, people always say like my mm -hmm. cup you know, keep what's in my cup for me, that whole thing. It kind of, that was the visual that I kind of got in my head, but it's great to actually have a number because oftentimes, like if you go to the doctor and they ask you to describe your pain, they'll be like a number one to 10. But when you think about it mentally, that's a great way to kind of gauge because oftentimes, like Dr. Walker said, we don't really have the the terminology or even sometimes people don't even know what feelings, you know, they're experiencing um, so I, I think that's great. So if anyone who is listening, one, pick up the book, but two, that's actually a great way to help you figure out like, okay, how I need to navigate to, through the day. Because if you're at an eight, you know, you, you feel it, you know, doing well for the most part and have the bandwidth to kind of deal with life challenges. But if you had a two or maybe some people at a negative right. one, right. that's a crisis. Right. <laughs> exactly. You know, and I'm, I'm so glad you said that because... We have the rating for other people, but then we have the rating for ourselves. And so, you know, if you're at a six or lower and somebody asks you to do something, the answer is no, right? Because we oftentimes just kind of take on extra stuff because we feel like we should. But if we can be honest and say, you know what, I'm at a five. <laughs> That's the best I can do. And I'm not taking on another thing. And I might need to reach out to somebody to kind of help to boost me up. So the number also tells us what needs to happen next or what doesn't need to happen. So it's, you know, I, I think it's a pretty, 
for lack of a better word, it's just a pretty oversimplified way of telling folks what is going on and what needs to happen next. Yes. You know, so on our podcast, we've been talking a lot recently about children's mental health because we're seeing a lot of black children, especially be impacted by depression or suicidal thoughts. So we wanted to get your perspective on, I guess, if parents have a low psychological fortitude, how would that affect their children? You know, you read the book. So, you know, this is this is why I wrote the unapologetic guide to black mental health because of the suicide rates going up for our young people and my concern that the people around them who need to be providing the most protection, uh, parents, aunties, teachers, all of those folks, that they need to have the PF to be able to reach out to, extend to, help problem solve, help comfort our young folks. I have a 13 year old, I know, there are times when I have to take a deep breath before I respond to him. Uh, other times I know I need to go and sit in the car and play my music really very loudly. Ooh, me and Beyonce, we just in there <laughs> loud. Um, and I come back in the house and he might say, are you okay? Um, but the thing is, you know, we love our children, but sometimes they are doing things and we need to be able to be in our correct mindset so that we can help them deal with their really strong emotions. Because the thing is, until girls are about age 18 or so, boys in their 20s, their brains aren't fully developed. Whereas we as adults, we have presumably fully functioning minds that we have what we need in order to be able to support them. But yeah, if our PF is at a five for days or even weeks, there is almost no way that we can help a child who for themselves are feeling like they're in crisis. Ooh, I'm like, that was a lot. Mm -hmm. But yes, I'm so glad you talked about like you going to the car and blasting your Beyonce. What can you say in terms of because that's a perfect example in terms of like, OK, I need to take this moment to get myself together to pause and then re-engage with, you know, with whoever. So what would be maybe some tips that parents can use or like a starting point because sometimes people don't even know what to do they just know I'm stressed out but I don't know what to do like they don't I don't think a lot of people not a lot of people I'm gonna say that some people they may not even know what coping skills may work for them so what would be like a starting point well the starting point really is the self-assessment that is the pf where am I and if you know that those kiddos get home from school by about 3.30, 4 o'clock, and at 3.15, you're like, ah, then you need 15 minutes to maybe just do some deep breathing. Like deep breathing isn't that deep and it's not that sophisticated. But the thing about deep breathing is one, it takes us out of whatever it is the chaos is in our minds that we're dealing with. And then two, it allows us to oxygenate our bodies in ways that we don't typically do when we're engaged in more shallow breathing because we're stressed out. And it sounds so incredibly simple, but I know for a fact that deep breathing works, especially when you don't have any time. Now, if there's more time, and if it's not a thousand degrees outside, like it is in Houston, you know, go outside, you know, get a shift in perspective to just try to find ways to reset. For me, it's music. You know, sometimes the music shifts. Sometimes it's gospel music. You know, sometimes it is Beyonce. And sometimes it's something a little bit more ratchet. But every individual <laughs> has to figure out 
what works for them. And so those are some options. You know, some people, you know, if, if you had a rough night or you didn't sleep well, resetting is taking a shower in the morning and just being in the shower. And I say that because I know you all don't do this, but a lot of people get in the shower like they're about to go to work or they just got off from work. They got their clothes on, they thinking about everything that went wrong, everybody that got on their nerves, everything they didn't do or everything they gotta do. Like they're just working. But a shower really is a nice place to kind of have like a mini spa, you know, to just feel the water, you know, smell the scents of the soap or whatever it might be. Because we have to take time for ourselves. We have to steal those moments wherever we can to boost our PF. Because again, PF is about anticipating threats. They're coming. Something might happen. It might be the car. It might be the child. It might be the partner. It might be the parent. <laughs> it's, it's coming. Um, and so that's why we have to be mindful so that we can do little things to kind of boost us up, even if it's a half a point or a point. Ooh, I love that you said that. When you were talking, I immediately thought about being present, being in the moment. And I don't think uh, people realize how powerful that is. And when you were talking about the shower, I started laughing to myself because so when I get in the house from the gym, it's usually about six o'clock in the morning and I am not lying. I don't even think I've ever told this to someone. Okay, the shower is running, but I kid you not, I am sitting on the shower. I'm sitting on the, the floor and the water is just running. I just finished the hour workout. My eyes are closed for at least a good 15 minutes. I'm playing music and I am like, really, I'm not thinking about anything, but it it's a perfect way to kind of like reset, even though it's only 6 a.m. But I did have an hour of really, you know, working out, doing something hardcore. And it just kind of shifts my mind to being like, okay, let's kind of be calm before you get up and you start responding to emails and getting on social media. So when you said that, Dr. Walker, it made me feel like I'm doing life right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know what? It actually made me think about, and I'm so glad that you talked about it, simple things that are self-care. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be something elaborate. We see self-care on social media as like, taking a trip to Bora Bora, getting your nails done, your hair done. But there are little practical things that we can do every single day mm -hmm. that will basically recharge our psychological fortitude. And it doesn't have to be something complicated. Right, because you love walks with Lucy, yes. her dog. So, like, it is small things. And that's what I really try to do my best to reiterate because there are so many people will say, like, I don't have money for self-care. It's like... You can take a walk around the block. You can use a guided meditation app such as like Headspace or Calm. Uh, you can listen to music. You can journal. You can do deep breathing, like simple things. You talk about taking a bath. You can listen to a podcast, listen to an audio book. Like there are so many small things. I think of self-care. It's, it's being very intentional about doing small things every single day that helps to keep your cup full. We shouldn't wait until, oh, my God, it's six months. I need a vacation. What were you doing every single day for the past six months that could help to manage, you know, those everyday stressors? And so I really do try to reiterate that to people because they always think, oh, my gosh, I need a vacation. Oh, my gosh, I need to go get my nails done. But, like, really... And I, even when you talked about like getting your nails done, it's like those things are great. But like if you're getting your nails done and your hair done, but internally you feel like crap, 
then it's mm-hmm. like, okay, you know, what can we do also like to take care of the the mental, not just the physical, if that makes sense. Right. Mm-hmm. So exactly. our organization, our podcast, we're a nonprofit now. We're so excited about that. Um, we Our name is intentional. Black people die by suicide, too. And Dr. Walker, I know you've done a ton of research about mental health, about suicide. We're trying to get people to realize that suicide isn't just a white thing. It isn't just a, something that wealthy white people do. Suicide affects everyone. Um, So I wanted to get your thoughts on the idea or the common thought in our community that that's something white people do. Like white Mm -hmm. people commit suicide. Well, they use the word commit. Right. We don't don't say that. We We say die by suicide. Language matters over here. (laughs) You know, it's interesting because I've been asked where this idea even comes from. And I have no idea. You know, it's just something that seems to have always been with us. And I don't know if it's because of the idea that we have so much that we deal with. We're like, look, we're not taking that one on. Like, no, mm-mm, we re- we rebuke that. Um, I don't know where it comes from. But as I mentioned, I wrote the book because of the suicide death rates going up for young people age 5 to 11. Uh, what I didn't say was that the rates at the time were going down for white people. And I don't think people knew about that. During COVID, there were a lot of statistics, or there was a national statistic that was reported wherein it suggested that suicide death rates were going down like across the country. But that's interesting because when you disaggregate the data, and that's what I have always done. Like I I look at the data just for us. And when it was going down in the country, it was going up for black people during COVID. Uh, And so we have to pay attention to what's going on for us recognizing that we do deal with a lot. And to be honest, there is a part of me that has wondered that given the things that we have been through, what we would typically call suicidogenic factors, all that we've been through, you know, untreated anxiety, untreated depression, you know, the mainstream acting like, you know, we ain't worth anything, uh, that we don't see rates that are actually higher. Um, But what has protected us has in fact been a strong sense of spirituality, you know, a strong sense of faith, you know, family and friend connectedness, you know, our ride or die for one another. That has protected us in a lot of ways, but that doesn't mean that we haven't struggled emotionally. Mm -hmm. And for individuals who, you know, may lose some of that protection, have lost some of that connection, there is just as much vulnerability as there is for someone who doesn't look like us because we're human. Um, And so I'm, you know, I I am so grateful to you all. I know you all were excited about me being here, um, but I'm excited about your your bravery to take on this topic because it's not something you all know this. You know, folks aren't trying to talk about suicide. Like, why are you talking about Mm -hmm. Um, But I do the work and I know you do the work because it's preventable. And so if we have more information in the community, then we can prevent more deaths. And I will never forget um, a colleague of mine who shared that and he was a he was a white male, but he had a client that he was seeing. Uh, the client ended up being hospitalized after an attempt, and he asked her, you know, about reaching out to folks. And she she had called a friend. She she called a friend, and the friend said, "You're not going to do that." Now, if the friend had listened to your podcast, or if my book had been available back then, and the friend had read it, she would know that there is vulnerability in the community and we have to step up for each other in so many ways in order to prevent suicide that 
in order to prevent suicide. Yes, Dr. Walker, you said so much. And as you were speaking, my mind was just thinking about 50,000 things. But when you talk about community and as a preventative uh, factor or measure, I was thinking about how, so I don't know if you know, but Jordan and I have lived experience. I'm a suicide attempt survivor. Um, and I also lost my 13 year old cousin and Jordan has struggled with ideation. Fun fact, we met in the hospital. <laughs> yes, we were both hospitalized. That's how we met. Um, and so when you were talking, I, I was thinking about how Jordan has been, well, we've been a great support for each other, but like in terms of I struggle still occasionally like with ideation, even though I haven't attempted. And often if those thoughts come up, I can reach out to Jordan and like she knows, oh, well, she's in the the space. So like, yeah, she knows what to say. But like to the average person, um, you know, like, some people have become or like I wouldn't say in terms of like a lifeline. Now, of course, there are other things that I do as far as like therapy and medication. But like having that person that you can confide in is super important. So like what would you say to someone in terms of if a person does come to them and say like, hey, I'm struggling with suicidal ideation what would you recommend to that person who is getting that information and they are unsure in terms of what to do to help that loved one? You know, I really do like my ABCs that I introduced in the book. And I hope you all can't hear that person with their loud ratchet music in the microphone. No, we can't. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the ABCs, the A is assume that you can help because there are a lot of people who will straight freak out like, oh, my goodness you're having thoughts of taking your life or, or dying like, oh my, and they panic. Like, no, no, we, we, we don't need you to panic. We need you to, to be present. I'll get to that part, but assume that you are the person who can help. It's not 911. It's not the mama. It's not all those other people. Assume that it's, it's you. And then once you assume that you're the person, the B is to be fully present. So the phone has got to be off. You can't be checking text messages and acting like there's something over there that's more important, you know, being fully present. And if that's not the moment, say, you know what? It is It is immensely important for me to talk to you right now. I just need 15 minutes or just, just give me 20 minutes and, and you will have my full attention and make sure that that's the case. And the C is my favorite because it's cancel your judgments. Because a lot of people think that saying things like, oh, it's not that bad or you're not gonna do anything. Like that's not helpful. You know, the substitute for being judgy in the way that we sometimes like to be um, is to be curious. And the curiosity is, you know, tell me what's been going on and, you know, what's what's the toughest part of, of this situation? You know, get real curious about what's going on for that person in that moment after you realize that that you're the individual. And. I tell my doc students, um, because I, I supervise doctoral students who are working on their PhDs, and they actually get really very uncomfortable um, initially just thinking about the idea of suicide and the fact that they may have to save a life. And what I tell them is that if you're focused on saving a life, then you're gonna be too distracted by the mission at hand. Your only mission is to listen and to be fully present and to support that person without telling them that things aren't that bad. Because when we do get to the point um, where they feel like, you know, that person's attempt may be imminent. Um, you know, things have gone too far. 
you know, we have to be present for folks before they get to the point of deciding that they don't want to live anymore. And that's why I appreciate, you know, another reason why I appreciate the podcast is because people have an opportunity, you know, to hear real life conversations about people who look like them before they get to the point maybe of, of crisis where they feel like there's no hope and there's no, um, there's nothing that can change about their circumstances. Yes. You know, listening non-judgmentally and being mm -hmm. able to put your biases to the side is so important. Takiya and I actually um, were both peer support specialists. So we're people with lived experience. Um, we take our recovery story and kind of help others navigate through uh, their tough times. And part of a big part of our role is to just to just listen and just be like a supportive ear for them. And I don't I think people don't recognize how powerful that in and of itself is because I wish that I had someone that I could say like I'm feeling suicidal and they would have just listened I think that would have been something that would prevent me from going to the hospital back then um so I, I know you feel the same way yes and I would also add we because we always talk about listening non-judgmentally but also validating what that person is going through even if you can't completely relate or you don't fully understand but validation is huge when you're in that dark place mm -hmm. um because the judgment piece really does push a person to shut down and not want to share anymore and you know if when someone does come to you and share something like that so vulnerable like you should feel honored right. that that person came to you. And so it is important to like, you know, you and Dr. Walker said, listening nonjudgmentally um, and validating is huge. And then, of course, there you can take assist uh, suicide prevention training. You can take QPR, question, persuade, refer. You can take mental health first aid. So there are tons of resources that you can you can actually it's a great investment. So that way you can even dive a little bit deeper and feel like you feel a little bit, I guess, more equipped. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as I was reading through the book, there's a chapter in particular that was about me. Oh, <laughs> not going to lie. So when I got to the part about low-key suicide, when I tell you it was like somebody put a spotlight on me, and I guess I had never really thought about it. Um, so if you could explain kind of what low-key suicide is, and then I'll go into my personal experience with this issue. Yes, well, I appreciate you uh, leaving that cliffhanger. Um, <laughs> I, I look forward to hearing that. Um, gosh, you know, so many layers to that. Okay, I'll, I'll share a couple uh, scenarios. A lot of us have older family members who are on uh, medication for hypertension, high blood pressure. And the doctor has said, you know, you need to exercise and you need to make sure you take your medication and you definitely don't need to be eating those chips uh, every afternoon. Um, but they just ignore the doctor because they're just like, yeah, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And the doctor has said things like, you know, uh, you are shortening your life. Like you're, you're um, hunkering towards an early death uh, if you don't make some different kinds of decisions. And it just seems to me that if we know that we're doing things with our lifestyle choices that shorten our lives, then that's, that's a bit suspicious for me. Now, one of the things that most people don't think about, and, and I don't think it's common knowledge, and that is that for individuals who have a chronic illness like high blood pressure, 
type two diabetes, things of that nature, um, those individuals are twice as likely to have chronic um, uh, clinical levels of depression. So depression and chronic illness often co-occur. And so, you know, for a 35 year old who the doctor has, you know, said, you know, you need to be taking your insulin and you need to be working out, you need to be taking care of yourself or you're going to shorten your life. But that person's depressed. They don't have the wherewithal to exercise regularly, or at least not without some considerable accountability. They don't have the energy or the mood. And maybe they don't take their medication. They don't take their insulin because you all know um, uh, the mind, um, the memory is affected by depression. And so, you know, so there's a lot to be aware of. There's a lot of untreated depression, as you know. Uh, but when we're asking folks, and then there's also a lot of substance use in the family. Uh, there's one of the um, articles that I don't know if you all have seen that talks about suicide as a white thing. Like it's literally a psychological study uh, where they'd say suicide is a white thing. And they say that black people do in fact have more acceptable kinds of suicide. Um, and so as an example, using drugs, using illicit substances, and folks will say, you know, they, they just trying to kill themselves. I don't know. I can't talk to them. I can't get through them, through to them, you know, but there are things that happen in our communities that exist just below the radar that I call low key suicide. Cause you know, we don't, we don't even want to look like what we're going through. So we kind of low key about some of this stuff, uh, but we're struggling and people are dying early because we're not able to make different kinds of decisions. Yes. So, man, this is me. I, I, I want to say this is probably my first time ever really talking about it or acknowledging it. Cause I never thought about it until I read your book, but I have chronic health issues, particularly with autoimmune diseases. So I was initially diagnosed with Sjogren's syndrome, and then I was diagnosed with lupus. But my lupus is extremely mild. It doesn't bother me whatsoever. Um, and at the time, I was seeing a rheumatologist um, who wanted me to, you know, lose weight, take my medication like I'm supposed to. And for whatever reason back then, this was around like 2013, 14. I was initially hospitalized or my mental health issues came to the forefront in 2012. I, I didn't care about taking my medication. I didn't care about getting better. Um, I didn't care about my conditions getting worse. And it's been like that for many, many years now. Um, if I can't tell you when my next rheumatology appointment is, you can safely assume that I'm not doing well mentally because um, I will avoid the doctor. I mean, it was to the point where with my initial rheumatologist, they put me as medically noncompliant because that's how much I just did not care to do to follow their advice. Even now, I mean, I've been with my rheumatologist since 2019 now, and she's a fantastic doctor. And ever since I've been seeing her, my blood pressure has been high. And she keeps telling me, Jordan, go to the primary care doctor and get that checked out. And again, that was 2019 when I started with her. I have not been to a primary care doctor since probably 2017. I just didn't, I just didn't care whether I got sick, whether I didn't feel good. Um, this was primarily how my suicidal behaviors or thoughts presented themselves. But I never made the connection that that's what that was until I read the book. 
even now I'm really pushing myself to make sure I stay on top of my appointments. You know, um, my rheumatologist appointment is coming up. I can tell you when it is. <laughs> so I'm trying to manage my health better. I mean, even now, my blood pressure is a little elevated. Man, I'll go. You know, you're supposed to shop around like the outside perimeter of the grocery store. Like that's where all the healthy stuff is. And I'm still making a beeline right to the center <laughs> where all the stuff is. I should not be eating. Um, I mean, I have lost weight since last year. I've lost about uh, about. 45 pounds now so I'm taking steps in the right direction I really am <laughs> mm-hmm. but this is primarily how my suicidal thoughts or behaviors manifested itself it was almost like you know what I don't I don't care if I get sick I don't care if I die in this way um and I'm trying to combat that now so I appreciate you for including that in the book because that was something I had never thought about Oh, you know what I'm yep. thinking that you said that think about how other how many other people have those thoughts. But when they die, it's oh, they die from a heart attack. But when really it was not the heart attack, it was depression that they actually died from. You know, when you were talking, it, it made me think about that. Uh, Dr. Walker, can you speak to that? Oh, the the high prevalence of health related death in our community. Which part? Yeah, in terms of like so people who it would be like, let's say if they got an autopsy, they would say, oh, it was cancer or it was diabetes. But when not that was the byproduct of not making those decisions that could potentially improve their health. But it was more a mental thing, if that makes sense, because I don't think people correlate mental and physical and how they work together. They just think. One is one, but they really do interact with each other. Can you speak to that? You know, I, I, I don't think that people are making these connections. Like this is something that I did. Well, I've been doing this work for a while because I've been curious about people who have type two diabetes and depression and they are not well. And it's like, okay. And it seems to be just acceptable. Uh, so that is something I have been curious about for years. And I do think that we need more uh, health psychologists, health behaviorists who are attending to people's lifestyles prior to their death. But you all know the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. not, mm-hmm. it's not the best. It's not, it's not <laughs> ideal. Uh, so it's easy to just say like, oh, well, you know, they had heart disease. They died. The end. Um, but you all know the number one or I think it's the number one killer of, of black women uh, or a top killer is stroke. Um and where does stroke oftentimes come from is hypertension. Mm, right. Stress and hypertension, high blood pressure. Um, and so, you know, we have to stay on top of these things. But, you know, is a doctor really going to take time to do the type of psycholo- psychological autopsy that's needed to be able to track what preempted the death, even if the person is is young? Um, so someone who's in their 50s even who dies by stroke, that's that's pretty young. But we just say, oh, well, they died. And we don't attend to whether or not there's some psychological correlate that goes with it. Yeah, I think for anyone who's listening who does the same thing that I was doing, whether you have, you know, diabetes and you're not taking your medication properly or 
like me, my blood pressure has been elevated and I've been avoiding going to the doctor to get it checked out. I'm so glad you said it out loud. I know. You know what that means for me, right? Yeah, she's going to stay on top of me to do it. She's going to be my (laughs) accountability partner. And I need that. I really do. (laughs) But to anyone who does that, I'm going to encourage you to take the first step and make that appointment and see a professional about whatever the health issue is. And I say that because Again, at the time, when I was initially diagnosed with my autoimmune problems, they didn't give me any trouble whatsoever. And the medication that my rheumatologist gave me was, um, I guess, an immunosuppressant. But from years and years of me not taking it like I was supposed to, by the time I got back to the rheumatologist in 2019, I had developed rheumatoid arthritis. And wouldn't you know, it is kicking my tail. Part of the reason I'm so consistent with going to my rheumatologist now is that I'm on a medication that I need to take to function. I probably wouldn't have developed rheumatoid arthritis at all. Would I have? Maybe. But there's a good chance I probably wouldn't have had this issue if I would have just taken the immunosuppressant that I was supposed to be taking for six years prior to that. But for whatever reason, I just... Well, I was depressed. I didn't care. I didn't care if I got better because I didn't care if I lived or not. Um, So I'm just going to encourage people to make that first step and reach out, keep up with your medical appointments, because I wish I would have done the same. And if I can add something, you know, for the members of your audience who are mental health professionals, one of our responsibilities is actually to ask our clients, when was your last physical? Because a lot of emotional health challenges are attached to our physical health and well-being. And so anytime, and I say this to my supervisees, you have to ask your clients, when was the last time they saw a doctor? And they say, if, if they say it's been three or four or five years, then they need to schedule that appointment immediately because it's not as helpful for us to be thinking about, you know, our reframing thoughts and all those kinds of things when that person seriously does have a blood sugar issue um, or a uh, or hypertension. Like, We're not doing our part if we haven't asked our clients about their physical health. Yes. Making a little shift, because this is a part of the book that I really want to dive into a bit. And talking about, you talked a lot about racism Mm -hmm. and its impact on our PF. So can you really just, yeah, I'm just going to be quiet. I just want you to go in with that. Just go green. Um, Well, for one thing, I don't think we realize how bad racism is for our physical health. Uh, The research is robust that dealing with overt racism, dealing with racial microaggressions is associated with high blood pressure. You know, like we wonder about these chronic health conditions. Some of it is, in fact, passed on from generation to generation and how we have learned to try to cope. But others of it is just this, the hypervigilance that we need to have, that many of us have, to anticipate the stuff. You know, going into a store and trying to look like you're not stealing. You know you're not stealing, but you have to be aware and stay on guard for when something could happen. Like, that does something, you know, for us physiologically, you know, because you all, a lot of the audience members know about the fight or flight system. Um, and it gets dysregulated for black people because we're always on guard, just kind of waiting. Um, and that's, that is not sustainable. 
And so it's important for us to be aware of when things happen, how we interpret it, how we deal with it, how we respond to it, because there are some of us who have internalized racism where we may be thinking, well, maybe if that black person hadn't done that thing, they wouldn't have had that trouble. No, we have to stop doing that to ourselves. Um, maybe there's something about me that is that is inferior. Maybe I didn't deserve that job. I only got that job because I'm black. We have to stop doing that stuff to ourselves. Racism has nothing to do with black people. Mm. Nothing. Racism has everything to do with the people who are racist towards us. The fact that they see us as inferior when we're out here doing magical things, like just downright magical. Um, and so we have to resist racism if we want to take control of our minds and also if we want to take control of our communities. Because, you know, racism that shows up in the classroom for our young people, it shows up in the banking system. I mean, you all know, I, there's a list of where racism resides, it's everywhere. Um, and so we just have to be cognizant of it so that we can resist it in every form. Um, and the last thing I will say, because um, folks may have heard about this notion of racial microaggressions, they're, they're defined as these sort of slights, these subtle things that people say or do that they don't really mean. Uh, they say things like, you speak so well, uh, you're so articulate. You know, they say things like that. Um, and, and it's okay if, if there was one microaggression once in a lifetime, it wouldn't matter. But when these subtle kinds of slights happen, that suggests that black people don't belong um, getting on an elevator, you know, for black men and having someone, you know, scoot over to the side and hold on to their purse. You know, when these kinds of things happen routinely, you know, what it communicates is something that is, you know, that we don't belong. And that is stressful over time. So again, we just have to be aware. All right, Takia, did I go in? <laughs> yes, you did. You did it justice. You good over there, Jordan? <laughs> Um, you talked a little bit about this. Um, you talked about in terms of pre preventative or protective, I'm sorry, protective factors. Um, you even had a, a lot in your book where you talked about like religion. So religion, um, I'm going to speak, I'm going to do Christianity since that's, you know, kind of my wheelhouse, but just religion as a whole, how it can really help us. But I want you to speak. So it's a two part question. The benefits in terms of what you talked about in the book, but then also there's the flip side to that where a clergy are not staying in their lane because they're not mental health professionals and end up causing more damage. So it's two part. <laughs> yes. OK, let me see if I can get my brain together. I said I was at an eight. Maybe I'm closer <laughs> to a seven. Um, that's a two part question. You know, let's let's go with the um, let's go with the, the second part first, because I really do believe that uh, clergy, pastors, ministers, all those folks mean well and are trained in, in counseling, in connecting with people, um, you know, at their moment of greatest pain. I truly believe that. At the same time, uh, I don't know if folks get their weave from the gas station. You know what I mean? You know, you don't get milk from the hardware store. Uh, you know, we go to specialized places to get specialized care. And for people who want meaningful mental health care, you have to go to a trained professional. Now, there are some 
you know, pastors who actually have, you know, mental health training. It's relatively rare, but they do have it. And it's helpful if they're upfront about their training or not. I get it though. You know, when people hear mental health, they think, oh, that's not for me. And and, and it's it's scary. Uh, and the pastor is, is a place um, or a person who is, is more comfortable, you know, because a lot of us are, are people of faith. Even if we don't pray or go to our church regularly, you know, we believe in a higher power. And so the person who represents that is comfortable and makes sense. But, you know, we have to, to realize that there are going to be shortcomings associated with the clergy trying to provide mental health services. Um, I've had, you know, a couple conversations with a few pastors and I'm like, you know, if you said from the pulpit uh, that people would benefit from going to see a mental health professional, that would go a long way because they need to hear it from you. When someone is sitting in a pew and they're struggling emotionally and the pastor is saying, just pray about it. And it's the pastor and it's everybody else is saying, pray about it. Then what it communicates is that if you're still struggling, you haven't prayed hard enough or there's something defective about you. And that's not what we want to be able to do. At the same time, and this is, you know, this is the part of the book that is unapologetic, you know, calling out that there are going to be limitations to some of everything. And there are limitations to going to the church when someone is dealing with major depression or generalized anxiety or having panic disorders um, or having panic, um, panic attacks. At the same time, you know, the parts of spirituality that are important are, you know, I talked about gospel songs as an example. You know, there are some gospel songs that just like, just bring me right into the moment. Um, you know, wait on you uh, right now. That one that just takes me to a different place. And so when we can recognize, you know, songs, um, spiritual messages, you know, from the pulpit, if there is a scripture that whenever the individual hears it, it's like, okay, I don't have to fight this on my own. There is a higher power that will fight this fight for me. And I can take my PF over here to a eight or higher and not be worried about anyone. So we have to figure out what are the sources of strength that we get from our spirituality, you know, from Christianity or wherever our faith is that gets us over those rough patches. Yes. As you were talking, of course, my mind is just since Dr. Walker has been here, my mind has been on a thousand. OK, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm thinking when you said that. So I right before um, my suicide attempt, I remember I had a pastor, my former pastor, tell me that I needed to um, pray and speak in tongues for 20 minutes and my depression would go away. So I live with um, bipolar disorder and um, I was feeling so defeated, like my faith was attacked. I was like, what's wrong with me? I didn't I don't didn't I don't even know how to speak in tongues. So I was just like, this is a lot. And it just made me feel worse. It got to the point where. I stopped going to church. I stopped listening to gospel music. I wasn't praying. I didn't want anything to do with church people. Just it, it, it took a lot for me to get to the point where like now, like I can go into a church when I was on my way driving over to the studio, I was bumping to um, Jacqueline Carr and uh, Tasha Cobbs and Kiara Shear. Like I was getting it in before I came here, but it took a while for me to get back to that place. And it would, it was because I had to work through that in therapy. And now, like, of course, I'm not like mad or I don't hold any grudges or anything because I knew that they were doing the best that they can. But that's just there are tons of stories like mine where 
you talk about like intent versus impact. She like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, the last <laughs> time I went to church um, intentionally <laughs> was right before the pandemic. As a matter of fact, it was February of 2020 and it was our church's um, like black history mm-hmm. um, service. So the sanctuary was packed. And my pastor was on a roll and he ends up saying, like, if you're depressed, you don't need a therapist. You just need to get on your knees and pray. And I remember everybody around me shouting and I just looked around and I said out loud, this is so irresponsible. Why would he say that? Oh, my gosh. And I tell you. Have you been back since? No, I haven't. (laughs) I'm. I'm getting there. I'm ready to go back to church. I'm getting there. I'm ready to, you know, I mean, I've always loved the Lord. Don't get me wrong. It just, it rubbed me the wrong way because I'm like, imagine the people like me who are sitting in the pews and we do see a therapist and I'm like, wait, is, is there something wrong with me because I need therapy or, I mean, I've been praying, but I can't pray and see my therapist at the same time. right. What what's going on here? So yeah, that was that was uh, almost four years ago, but um, I'm slowly getting back into it because it was something that I found very helpful for me, like spirituality, um, be, being beneficial to my mental health. But man, that rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah, yeah, you know, and that's such an unnecessary loss. Just talk about unnecessariness. Like, there are t-shirts now, and maybe you could wear that the next time you go. That t-shirt that say, "I can pray and have a therapist." Mm-hmm. Um, and wear that to, to church. Uh, because we know people, you know, kind of like you, you caught me off guard because I was just listening so closely to Kia, but, um, we, we don't think that people intend to make things worse. Like they can't possibly. Right. But that's why we have to have these conversations because what, what was the point? Like, like just why, like, why say you don't need a therapist? I mean, if the house is on fire, are you not going to call? The fire truck? Are you are you not going to call nine one one emergency? You know, if you have a serious pain in some part of your body that is debilitating, and you're on your knees, are you not trying to get help from someone who can actually help? And I get that there's mis- mystery about therapy. I get that one hundred percent. That's why I talked in the book about what you look for for a mental health professional. At the same time, I think maybe we can put the pause on talking about things that we don't necessarily know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's gonna be the clip for social media. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so before Dr. Walker goes, we got we gotta get her to answer this question. About this was one of my favorite parts in the book. Why you shouldn't should on yourself. Mm, stop shooting on yourself. Stop shooting on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, it's one of my favorites too. Um, because I like my whole brain shuts down when I hear the word should, uh, Jordan, I don't know if you know, you said should a few minutes she ago. Sure I do. I say it a lot. I'm always <laughs> shouldn't on myself. Always. <laughs> see, see, that's okay. If you recognize it, that's the first step. So look, let's, let's get the audience up to speed. Um, I would like to remove the word should from our entire vocabulary because we say things like I should work out. I should go see the doctor. I should, you know, fill in the blank. I should be nice to X, Y, and Z, whatever. But all we do is put on ourselves 
or, or shine a light on our deficit. It just makes us feel bad that we're not doing whatever the thing is. And that's, that's really quite useless. And we can replace should whenever you're ready, Jordan, with the word or the phrase, it would be helpful. It would be helpful if I worked out because it opens the opportunity for you to kind of problem solve. Well, what's keeping me from working out? What's keeping me from going to see that doctor? What all is keeping me? Is it, is it fear? Is it when you're working out is because it's just too outside, too hot outside and I don't want to be bothered. You all, you can probably hear my struggle with my life right now. I'm just like, I don't want to go outside. <laughs> um, you know, what are the things? Do I not have time? How do I create the time? So should kind of hijacks us of the opportunity to actually problem solve. Cause we mm. say things like I should, and then we just keep shooting on ourselves. And then we never do anything about it. We just keep shooting and shooting and shooting. And it is useless. Um, and it, it's a funny story because I was on the Breakfast Club um, a couple, a, a little while ago. Mm, I don't know. I saw it. Um, and, and, and Charlemagne said to me, uh, well, you shouldn't smoke crack, right? Y'all, he caught me off guard so bad. I had never been caught off guard like that. Because you're right. No, you're not. It would be helpful if people didn't smoke crack. But what is it that makes them smoke crack in the first place? Are they struggling with something in their lives? Do they need help? Do they need support? Do they need an addiction specialist? Like, what do people need? So rather than shooting on ourselves or shooting on other people, let's get curious and find out what's going on so that we can problem solve the situation or the circumstance. I like that. I'm going to use that for my life. Like, and Takia will hold you accountable. And she will hold me accountable. Yes, she will. <laughs> I hold her accountable. That okay. is actually a really good idea. Because I guess in asking that question, it would make me think like, okay, Jordan, I know I should make like, you know, I need to make this appointment with a doctor. What's the first thing I can do? I can research a primary care doctor. I had one, but he passed away um, during the pandemic. I can always reach out and, you know, check my insurance and see what's out there. That's the first step doesn't have to be something complicated. So I appreciate that because when you do frame it that way, it does make you think, well, what solutions can I, you know, implement to get to that, to the, to my goal? What I sh should <laughs> be doing. What would be helpful? Yes. What would be helpful? Okay. Okay. Look at you. You just got some free therapy. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. Thank you. That's a great way of reframing it. Um, I'm going to use that for sure. I'm happy to be at your service. <laughs> thank you well dr walker before you go is there anything that you want the people to know anything you got coming up or just anything you want any last words well um one thing that's coming up it's funny that you all uh would mention calm because i'm working on a series with calm uh that will be on the calm app but for anyone who's curious i actually did a small project with them and so if you go to either my website or just google Dr. Rita Walker, Rita is spelled R-H-E-E-D, as in diamond, A, uh, Walker. Uh, just Google Dr. Rita Walker and Calm. And we actually have an ABCs uh, that's available online that anyone can look at. But I do want just to encourage us to be mindful of where we are on a zero to 10 rating, especially when something hasn't gone our way so that we can assess, do I need to go have uh, you know, a couple glasses of Riesling? Um, or do I need to go spend some time with some friends? You know, what is it that we need for ourselves? And then if we know 
that someone that we care about has gone through something, maybe they've had a loss, maybe they've lost a job or a relationship, then we can extend to them just so they know that they are not by themselves. Don't say things like, well, reach out to me if you need something, go ahead and reach out. Because when people are struggling, it's nice just to know that someone is thinking about them and we can connect with one another in meaningful ways without it being grand or sophisticated. We can keep it small. But when we make these small gestures towards one another, they go a long way. Thank you all so much for this opportunity. Yes, thank you. You guys go and pick up this book. I got my copy. I got my pages tabbed. (laughs) Go pick this up. It is a fantastic read. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Walker. Absolutely. Thank you. So as you all know, um, we always like to shine a spotlight on someone who has passed away from suicide. This is our way of honoring their memory and legacy. And for today, we have Lee Thompson Young. He was the star of Disney's The Famous Jet Jackson. I remembered this show when I was a kid. Um, Lee Thompson Young died by suicide on August 19th, 2013. At the age of 29. And it's so interesting because I felt, I don't feel like a lot of people talked about it. Mm -hmm. I don't even think I honestly knew until, you know, you told me. Mm -hmm. But, or maybe I wasn't as in tune because I wasn't in mental health back then. Right. Um, But yeah, I just... I don't feel like people really talked about it that much. I remember when he passed away, but I think it was just like something they talked about briefly in the news and then just kind of Went pushed on. forward. Yeah. Um, definitely seems like people are talking about it more since like everyone that's passed since the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But back then, I think they just kind of touched on it a little bit and, you know, like moved on. Right. So we want to make sure that we, you know, bring him back up honor his memory again i used to watch the show when i was a kid um so rest in peace to lee thompson young absolutely and that's why we have this podcast because again y'all know we are normalizing the conversation about suicide within the black community so we always are here to honor people and make sure that you know we give a voice to them even though they're not physically here right so now we're going to get into our resource segment y'all so our resource segment, of course, Jordan done held that that book. I don't know how many times she held that book up. But yes, Dr. Rita's uh, book, The Unapologetic Guide to Black Mental Health. It's a great resource because it helps us to understand, as you know, we just went through in the interview, racism and how that impacts our health, um, our mental health. Also, how our men- mental and physical health are connected spirituality and I just feel like the book does a great job mm-hmm. at just showing how everyday things really do impact our mental health that can ultimately get us to the point of not wanting to be here yes I think she did a fantastic job writing it it's definitely very relatable it's a simple read that anyone could understand there's not a lot of like um I guess medical jargon mm-hmm. she really breaks it down to where you know you can get the information and retain it Because, again, there's lots of things in here. I got my pages marked. Um, I'm going to incorporate into my life. And I appreciate her for, you know, writing this book. This This is a great resource for anyone who is black. Maybe you're not as familiar with mental health or maybe you are and you kind of want some 
tips on how to practically manage. Mm-hmm. This is a fantastic read for that. Yes, it's very simple. Like mm-hmm. you said, you don't have to be a mental health professional, whether clinical or non-clinical. Like the everyday average person would yep. be able to understand it. And it just makes mental health like something that may seem very abstract, mm-hmm. like simplified. Yes. So, and then adding to the resource is that Dr. Walker also has a a workbook mm-hmm. that will be out and um, that will uh, that can accompany right. the book. So I think for us, our homework, we're going to have to get the workbook oh, now. Absolutely. <laughs> I definitely think it would be a great accompaniment to the book um, just to like actually work through the principles that she has ourselves. I'm looking forward to it. It'll be a nice dive into, you know, definitely some tools that would help me out. I could always add something to my toolbox. Right. We need a whole episode on toolbox. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. I, that workbook going to be good for you because you know why? You just going to be writing that workbook. How you, why you going to stop shitting on yourself? Oh, how man. you going to stop shitting on yourself? Even after she told me what to say, I still say it should. I didn't mean to. Y'all I heard it when you said it, and I saw Dr. Walker, her her antennas went up. I was like, Jordan said should. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bad habit. We're going we're gonna to try to break through that. So <laughs> It really puts a lot of undue pressure on yourself. Mm-hmm. It'll make you feel worse. it makes make you yes. feel bad. Yes. Like, dang, have I been doing anything? Like, But really, you have. You just shouldn't frame it in that way. So... Shout out to Dr. Walker for that tip because I will be incorporating that into my life. So for today's community change maker, we are going to highlight Charlemagne the God, right? A host of The Breakfast Club and a mental health advocate. He's the founder of the Mental Wealth Alliance and the Black Effect Podcast Network. Um, He's been transparent about his own sort of mental health struggles and with anxiety um, and panic attacks. So we just want to... Shout out to him, especially as a black man. Yes, we need that. We need more black male voices that are like really bringing attention to mental health because there's, I guess there's kind of like black women. There's this expectation of us to always be strong and hold things together. But I always appreciate when a black man is being vulnerable about what he's going through mentally. And I hope and pray that that will also encourage other men to do the same. Absolutely. And it made me think about, so I don't know if you saw it but he even did like an entire therapy session it was I believe it aired on MTV it was like this big thing like with a I can't remember what therapist this was I can't remember but it was a huge thing it was pre-pandemic so you know people still was not Mm -hmm. talking about mental health before the pandemic and he also like you mentioned his organization so he's really not just you know, as far as like doing things in terms of like entertainment, but like he is truly really adding to the mental health conversation and providing resources. And, you know, outside of just knowing him on the breakfast club. So I do love this because black men need to see this. Yes. This is boots on the ground, mental health work. Shout out to Charlemagne. We need more men like you. Yes. So we, it's time to do our self-care check-in. Uh-oh, I'm just trying to... Now I'm sitting here thinking, self-care. Jordan, I'm going to let you go. (laughs) You know what? I've been saying that I was going to do more reading, and I did. (laughs) So shout out to me for that. Um, What do I want to do coming up? Oh, so 
prior to the pandemic, I was doing um, swim work or swim work, <laughs> swim classes. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about today. Swim classes <laughs> at my county's um, one of our many, many local community centers. And right before the pandemic, like February, um, a new pool opened up in the next town over from me. And I think I was able to go like twice before everything shut down. So now I um, I signed up for a new swim class. That's a continuation of the last one that I took, which hopefully I still have the skills to get through it. But I'm pretty sure I do. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. That's going to start in like two weeks because I do love to go swimming. And I haven't been in a long time. So I'm really, really looking forward to this swim class. Like... I I'm really hype about it. I'm so excited and I'm so happy and I'm so proud of you because on a previous episode, you said, I'm going to go. I need, you, I don't know if you said should. I don't know if you I probably did. It. But the point was, you said that you were going to do it and look, you did it. But I also stayed on, I would text you periodically. <laughs> yes. Like, Jordan, you signed up for those swim classes. <laughs> and you know, it's so funny because at the time, I didn't go to check to see if any classes were available, which they usually are. But I think because the pool was so new at the time it closed with the pandemic, they didn't really have like a steady flow of classes there to begin with. So I was very pleasantly surprised when I checked the swim classes and the exact class I needed was there. Because normally I would have to go up the road to like, um, Wayne Curry Sports and Learning Complex, which is in Landover or like Glen Arden to Teresa Banks Pool or something. But lo and behold, they had this class right in the next town over from me. And I was like, the stars aligned. I was so happy. I signed up so quick. So I'm really looking forward to it. That's going to be my self-care. Yes. I'm, yeah. I'm so happy Le- Leon, can I get a round of applause for doing the right thing for once <laughs> in my life? Oh, thank you. <laughs> Yes. And you got through the book. I'm trying to think in terms of self-care for me, I feel like I've been doing, I'm very proud of myself. I got through, you know, I did do the audio version for Dr. Walker book, but I got through it. But not only that, I did it at the same time and I finished Viola Davis's book and that was the physical. Well, I had it in my Kindle, but I actually had to read it. So I did that. Um, I started Michelle Williams book. Um, And I have been doing better with my sleep schedule because, um, well, last night I didn't quite do well. But overall, I've been doing pretty well with like staying on my my sleep routine, which has been helpful. I've been running more and I didn't even realize that like I'm a cardio person anyway. Mm -hmm. I want to be careful with my words because people say cardio junkie. But since I'm in mental health, I don't you know Mm want to say that. So. I, I I just like cardio. Like I use, I feel like if I'm not doing something that got me half out of breath and about to pass, I feel like I didn't work hard <laughs> enough. But that's not true because yo- stretching and Pilates and yoga and all that stuff is great too. But I have been, and I really enjoy running. I would say it's probably been um, maybe almost a year that I've been um, doing it. First, I started on the treadmill. And now I've been like going outside a few days a week, like days that I, you know, don't go to the gym. I would go outside and run in the morning. And I have been finding that running has become very therapeutic. And it's not like I'm not sprinting. I'm not. It's just a very um, 
slow pace. Mm -hmm. And I had an epiphany while I was running. I don't know if I told you this, but I started running very fast. And I realized that I was getting out of breath faster, of course. And then something said to me, Takia, you can go really fast and then not last as long, or you can pace yourself and you can last longer. Mm -hmm. And it was an epiphany for life. I was like, Takia, that's how you need to navigate through life. There are moments in life where I feel like we have to sprint, you know, Mm -hmm. but then for the most part, like definitely like pacing. And as someone who struggles with anxiety, pacing yourself is super important. And so Running has been a great moment for me to like I listen to some usually some self-development mm-hmm. podcast or um, maybe something with uh, Sarah Jakes Roberts. Um, I listen to her Woman Evolve podcast, but it has become very therapeutic, like running at a moderate pace. And I've been able to go two and a half, three miles without stopping because it's like I'm pacing myself versus let me try to hurry up and finish. And it also helped me with being present. Mm-hmm. So I've been running has really been just great for me, like mentally mm-hmm. and of course physical, but mentally I've been I've been really enjoying it. Exercise definitely has a benefit on our mental health. So shout out to you for that. And also I have noticed fewer late night emails from you. So I'm like, OK, this is one of two things. Tequila is either asleep or Takia is getting some rest. And for that, Leon, I'm going to have to get a round of applause for my girl. <laughs> we giving them all of them today. Mm-hmm. See, we both, we get better. Mm-hmm. See, y'all, this is why you have to have an accountability partner. <laughs> it's so important. You know, like, Jordan holds me accountable, too. I think I'm a little bit more aggressive or assertive with her. And she's a little more passive with me, you know. You know, but the point is, we... We make sure we both do what we, I don't want to say not, we not shouldn't over here, but we do hold each other accountable and simply say, you know, Jordan, it would be helpful if you consider signing up for that swim class. Yes. Yes. So, so yes. Um, so we want to encourage y'all to practice self-care. Um, that is the main reason why we have this segment. We want to talk about like what we're doing every day, uh, practical things um, in terms of being intentional about mm-hmm. self-care. And so Dr. Walker also talked about it as well. And we talked about, you know, practical, realistic things that we can do every single day. So um, for our moment of inspiration, I don't think we have it down in our notes for today, but we're going to take it off the top of the dome. And I'm just sitting here thinking, what can our moment of inspiration be? You know, I was thinking just how grateful I am that there are professionals out there like Dr. Walker who are bringing awareness to black mental health in a way that's easy for us all to understand. And to be honest with you, that gives me so much hope for the future of mental health for black people. You know what I mean? Because I feel like we're always we're always kind of like an afterthought with mm-hmm. medical and things like that. So for her to actually write something like this to support us, like for us, by us, that gives me so much hope that, you know, black mental health can continue to just come to the forefront and people can continue to reach out and get help. Man, we're really going to make like some waves out here and I'm excited about that. Absolutely. I think that's a great moment of inspiration. I think what I 
based upon what you just said, what I took away from that is that the future of mental health is actually looking great. Yes. Like in terms of I actually heard someone say this on TikTok because mental health is becoming we're talking about it more that it's actually there is going to be a minority of people who don't have therapists because it's mm. going to be like, you don't, oh, you don't got a therapist like it's going to be so normal like it's it's getting there now. Mm -hmm. But like as time goes on, it's going to be like, yeah, I got a therapist, you know, and so. I love to see that shift. And when you talk about being a moment of inspiration, it does give me hope, but also because that can also help to prevent more uh, people dying by suicide. Right. I think I just, you know, I feel full because we have like vets who have been in the game like Dr. Walker. But I was also I went back and I watched um, the episode that Brandon did with Janaya mm -hmm. and even just like young people having this much passion about um you know, mental health and especially for the youth, like that really gives me hope for the future. Absolutely. And if you don't know what Jordan's talk about, y'all, y'all need to go check out the Black Mental Wellness Lounge with Brandon Johnson. Um, we did an interview with him during a youth, Black Youth Suicide Week because suicide um, September was Suicide Prevention Month. So I need y'all to go to the Black Mental Wellness Lounge and definitely check out the interview that featured me and Jordan, but also um, Janiah Fields, I believe is her last name, yeah. a student at McDaniel who is just we gonna get her on the podcast. Just let's. I, I'm not gonna even go in. She is phenomenal, and I'm really excited about like just her and like where she's going yes. because she's definitely gonna make waves in the mental health space. And she's starting now as a college student. Yes, if anyone has a young person in their life who is struggling mentally, check out Brandon's channel and forward them the episode with Janaya because. I'm telling you, when I tell you she's going to be somebody, she's already somebody, but she's going to be somebody. And she's young and so sweet. I'm so glad that I got an opportunity to meet you. Hey, Janiyah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I just feel a lot of hope about, you know, that things are going to get better and people are going to be, their psychological fortitude is going to be <laughs> on a 10. You know what? I think when I said, uh, when we started the episode, I was on a 7. I'm probably a good 9 now. That was I needed that. I yes. needed that. Yes. I, I I'm definitely I was on a ten. Well, before I came in, I was probably like about six point five seven. <laughs> but once I sent out and I saw Dr. Walker, it just it just brought it right back on up. So yes. I am excited. I feel like when we start doing when we start doing episodes moving forward, be like, what's your PF? What's your PF, girl? <laughs> what's your PF? <laughs> well, we thank you all for listening. That wraps up another wonderful episode of Black People Die by Suicide Two podcast. I need y'all to follow us on Instagram, Black People Die by Suicide Two. Two is T O O as well as on TikTok. Y'all bear with us on Facebook because the account got hacked. So we haven't been able to post content on Facebook right now, but we are very active on Instagram um, in terms of sharing things about our nonprofit organization as well as the podcast. And then our TikTok, we post specifically clips from the podcast. And then also like share this episode, subscribe if you haven't subscribed. 
Um, If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening, or if you happen to be watching on YouTube, y'all, we need y'all reviews. Give us a wonderful four or five star review. Before you decide to leave a three star below, just send us an email and just (laughs) let us know. Um, Can y'all improve something? Fix the lighting. Something's too low. Just tell us. Don't, you know, y'all just try not to should on our review page (laughs) try try not to do that so but we do when you actually comment on um apple Podcasts or wherever you listen or when you um rate it and you give us a four or five stars that actually helps to boost our podcast and more people can see it we'll be able to be more visible and if you comment of course if you share and subscribe that really does help to increase the visibility of our youtube and so so many of you are always asking how can i support y'all that is a simple way that you can support engage uh with our content on youtube and just also sharing the podcast episodes whether you watch it or whether you listen yeah so um i think we definitely want to hear from you all because Ultimately, we want to give you content that you that's helpful to you. So leave us a comment. Let us know how we're doing. And this wraps up another episode.